0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones.
1: Hey, this is Andrew Olson, co-host of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Our podcast is sponsored exclusively by Newport One, and you can check them out at newportone.com. I'm joined today by Roy Jones. Roy is Vice President of Mercy Ships and the wonderful co-host of this show with me. Roy, how are you this afternoon? Good,
2: very good, Andrew. I think this is going to be a fun
1: one. I do too. So we, we have a, a wonderful guest. Um, I'm really excited to have her here. We have with us Sarah Olivieri, who's the founder of Pivot Ground, a digital agency that serves the nonprofit sector. Sarah, welcome.
0: Thanks. It's a real pleasure to be here.
1: So I, I appreciate you joining us. And I, I don't know if I did it justice by describing your firm as a digital agency that serves nonprofits. I think you're a little bit more than that. And I think you have more depth than just sort of the digital fundraising, which I think is what people would assume when I, when I say those words. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about Pivot Ground.
0: I'm from a nonprofit background. I've been an executive director, program director, mainly of human service organizations, especially in the autism and developmental disabilities field, although I was once the briefly the ED of a foundation, which was very insightful and interesting to learn about. And then I, for a number of years, I kind of shifted more into marketing for for-profit businesses and nonprofits. And then I decided I was going to focus exclusively on nonprofits because of my background, I could serve them in a way that nobody else could. And so we worked on digital marketing, which of course often encompasses digital fundraising, but we also specialized in marketing for programs. We call it impact marketing. But like anyone who's gotten deep into marketing, for profit or nonprofit, realizes is that you quickly get involved with how organizations run. Because if an organization doesn't run well, it can't actually benefit from great marketing. So, um, so true. I, so, you know, marketing led to business consulting pretty quickly once I really started focusing on nonprofits. And that's where I loved helping that element of nonprofits grow when I was an ED I was always interested in like how can we systematize things in a way that lets us scale our impact not many people were talking about it back then when I, when I was thinking about it and but I was always uncomfortable being a consultant you know like I didn't just want to be there giving advice as a marketer I loved having skin in the game I loved like helping empower people to kind of take something that was beyond me. And as I had done all this in my own business journey as well, I had learned a lot of for-profit business frameworks that were really helping me grow my business in a much more effective, streamlined, efficient way. And I started teaching nonprofits some of these frameworks. So it wouldn't just be about my ideas, but it would be how can we make better decisions together? How can you make better decisions on your own? And finally, I birthed what we call the impact method, which is most of what we do now, which is a business framework specifically for nonprofits. I don't know that there's anyone, any other frameworks out there like this yet. I hope others do emerge, but it really took, everything that was great about the for-profit frameworks and filled in and changed the pieces that were just really different for nonprofits or were missing that nonprofits really need. Today, we mostly train people in the impact method and we help people implement it. And we still do some marketing for people who you know, are really ready to scale at that
1: level. Tell us, uh, if you can, a little bit more about the impact method. How, do, how does that experience work with a nonprofit? It sounds like it's an existing framework. They enter it with you. You're teaching them how to do it. But, but give us a little bit more of the on the ground kind of insights about it.
0: Sure. Well, I think what it does is it replaces traditional strategic planning with a whole kind of dramatically different way of thinking about doing business, which is that as nonprofits, we really need to be iterative, which most for-profits have realized already. We have to be growing incrementally and we have to be ready to move a lot faster because our world moves faster. So it takes a very kind of big picture, holistic Element to it by looking at our organizational strategies, but then it connects it right down through to how are we taking everyday action? So in the impact method we break our world down into 60 day cycles And then we break those 60 day cycles into two-week sprints which comes from an agile framework of working which the, basically the creators of the internet created this way of working to keep up with the speed of the internet in really <laughs> simplistic terms. Um, and so then we have these two week sprints where we know exactly everyone on our team, what they are doing. So that is really how strategy meets execution in the impact method. So it's both faster, but it's more focused and easier to manage. So you get more done but you also have less overwhelm and stress as you do it.
1: Huh. That's a fairly brilliant way to approach it in, in this sector. I mean, Roy and I have been doing this for a lot of years, and we're so used to an organization, you know, conducting a strat planning process, writing a document, and then maybe revisiting it ten or eleven months down the road, if you're <laughs> lucky, right? And
2: in most of the time, it's you know, it's. I mean, we're looking at long-term donor value. Which basically means, you know, when, when when we're making plans and projects in that first year, it, it's based upon what's going to happen over the next four. So for you to talk about two week sprints, I'm sitting here, I'm saying, oh my goodness,
1: my head might explode. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I'm curious because you know I've I've worked inside organizations as well, and one of the reasons why I I prefer to be on the consultant side is because we can move faster, right? The the typical Infrastructure in a nonprofit organization it is much slower. Talk to me about the kind of organizations that gravitate to this model, and and how they're different than the rest of the nonprofit.
0: Yeah, I think really it's the type of people who are in them. Um, Any organization can benefit from this model. It's people who are sitting there going, there has to be a better way. Mm. (laughs) Anybody who learned in the for-profit space that slowness is death. Slowness is like nonprofits are so afraid of spending money and yet they're flushing it down the toilet by moving slowly. You move slowly, you miss opportunities, you spend too much money actually on people because they're not doing enough for you in the time that they're working. It's so expensive to move slowly. So anybody who's either like frustrated with that or people who are overwhelmed, some people are so overwhelmed, it's like hard for them to even realize, believe um, that this (laughs) will work for them, although it will, but typically some people are just like, they're sinking so far deep. (laughs) They're They're not in that moment. Although some people have gotten to the bottom of that sinking experience and realized it's do or die. If I don't change the way we're going, we are going under and people who are in that moment are ready to take action finally to save, to save themselves.
2: Wow! You know, I read, I read somewhere that, that each year the IRS reports 50,000 nonprofits go out of business. Yeah. And, and you're right. The speed of operation might have something to do with it, with that.
0: Yeah, it's huge. I think another thing that makes it really hard for nonprofits and something that we've addressed, the other piece of the impact method is about capacity. And I really believe that the secret to thriving, which to me means like feeling successful, getting paid reasonably, having the work be manageable and making a scaled impact – is both about strategy and capacity. Because if you don't have the ability to execute your strategy, then why even have one in the first place? And so one of the things I realized that is so different about nonprofits than for-profits is nonprofits basically have more people. So a startup for-profit or an entrepreneur who goes out there and says, I'm going to start a business. It's usually just one person who's starting a business. When it's a nonprofit, it's right by law, it's usually a minimum of three people, right? And you might think three is three times more than one, but that's not actually true. Um, Because when we're talking about dynamics of an organization, when you have two people, that's actually three times as big because you have each person acting on their own and then you have the relationship between the two. So that's two people plus one relationship.
2: So the center... Three
0: people, right? And you've got three people acting on your own, that's three, the relationship between each pair of two, (laughs) and then the relationship when all three of them are together. So the dynamic of managing people scales exponentially as you add each another person in. And so teeny nonprofits need the human capacity structures in place that only very large corporations really need in the for-profit space. And that's very, very different.
1: That is really different. Huh. Okay. I, I want to shift us a little bit and I want to ask you a question about something that I read in a couple of places on, on your website. So you talk about, and this is, this is more in your sort of digital realm, you mm-hmm. talk about the need for organizations to quote unquote leverage digital. And, and you make the case that that's not just about marketing and fundraising. Unpack that for us.
0: So, yeah, so oftentimes we think about digital, we do think about marketing, because we're thinking, oh, face how, what's our social media strategy, right? What's, maybe you're thinking about your email marketing strategy. But basically, the core of what makes the internet, the internet, is it's a tool for communication. One way, and now, very significant communication is what the internet's all about. So as soon as we realize that digital is about communication, then we realize that those, those things that we're using, those tools, if you will, on the internet are inside our organizations as well as outside. So we use email to communicate out, but then people communicate back into email and that goes to an individual person, even when we send out on a large scale. You know, Facebook, we're quickly into Facebook Messenger. And I know the statistics are terrible. How many nonprofits set up Facebook pages but ignore their Messenger app? That's just like, we're open, but we're not going (laughs) to answer the phone um, or the door. (laughs) Um, And so that quickly is about how do we communicate from internal to external and external to internal. And then those tools are often linked. They are the one in the same or they are connected to the tools that we're communicating internally with our team. And so it you can't really separate digital marketing from digital communications inside your organization. And you can't really separate how we just communicate with each other from how the entire organization is running because the bulk of what our organizations are, are people and we're people mm. communicating with each other so they can collaborate.
2: Very interesting. When it comes to nonprofits, how does this concept of, and again, it's not just speed, but it is, but it is moving with, with intention, as I hear you describe it. Uh, how does it impact the, the, the donor relationship? What, what do you normally see with nonprofits?
0: Yeah, well, it's huge on so many levels. So, I mean, just to go moving with intention, right? When your donors see you moving with intention they believe that you are going somewhere. Mm -hmm. Not just that you have a beautiful place to go to, but that you are actually going somewhere. Mm -hmm. You're actually going there. And that is way more exciting than just an impossible dream. Achieving Mm -hmm. an impossible dream makes other people want to be a part of that. So when you start moving much faster and with intention, people can see where you're going and they can realize that they can participate, even if that's right. Participating from a donor perspective might be um, I'm, you know, psychologically, empathetically joining your journey. It could also be and then there's a number of other things that we do to create more intention and more what I call alignment. So, you know, when we get people aligned, they both do more of their efforts, go towards the direction we're trying to go in, but it also is fantastic for the donor relationship. So if we actually think about, you know, we want our employee teams aligned and not just going in the same direction, but choosing the same way to go in that direction, Mm. you know, there's multiple ways to get somewhere. And then we get our volunteers a group of people who are all aligned with where we're going and the way we're gonna get there and then we look start looking for donors not just any donors but donors who not only believe where we're going but they but they believe that the way we are trying to get there is the way they also believe is the right way Mm. to get there And when we get that kind of alignment we get so much more participation and dedication loyalty trust all those things start to fall into place
2: wow it really is a system that that you have to feed you know with with your uh, digital strategy your social media strategy and and the overall donor and support contact process whatever that is
0: yeah and you know and i really push that you know fundraising is a little more straightforward in that you do get dollars out but you know for-profits can be and so fundraising uses marketing as does enrolling people in programs uses marketing to do that as does human resources to find great staff and retain your staff especially if you're going to pay them less requires great marketing so all these things right we're using marketing all over the place but for-profit companies typically have a, what they call a marketing department, which is really their lead generation connecting people to their sales department function. For-profits can kind of be lazy with their marketing because they're generating, they're getting a very high return for every marketing dollar they spend. If it's done well, they're getting, you know, Many times back in sales dollars. But nonprofits, you know, a little bit in the fundraising department, they are getting dollars back. But in their other work, their return is mission. So, in order to have a financially sustainable marketing effort, it has to be much more efficient than for profit industry has to have because they're not always getting the dollars back. So as a direct result of the marketing. And that because of that, some for-profit marketing strategies don't make sense for nonprofits. And also because of that, nonprofits have to be much more conscious about having everything do double duty. <laughs> yeah. And the way, I think the most successful way of doing this is what I call a, a marketing engine because it becomes a self-fulfilling system is you take a full journey where you take, especially donors, through to the point that they're actually bringing new donors into your organization. Mm. So, you know, you don't, it's not enough to just get a donation. It's not enough to just get that donor to become a recurring donor or an increased donor. You have to turn them into a loyal donor and then finally turn them into a, what I, you know, a promoting donor, someone who's going to fill the bottom, you know, become the fuel for your fundraising engine. Um, because we need that kind of efficiency in a nonprofit or it's not financially sustainable.
1: So you said something that I want to come back to uh, because I think it's, it's a often held misconception. You said that there are corporate marketing tactics that don't make sense in the nonprofit. And I think what I often hear, and Roy probably hears it, I won't make him say yes, but he, he probably hears it from the board that, that oversees his organization uh, from time to time, which is, you know, why don't you just do X? Why don't you just do what? Apple does this. Google does this. Why don't you? Tell us a little bit, you know, give us some insight. What are some of those things that you see where commercial application makes total sense, but once you translate it to the nonprofit, it's just insanity.
0: Yeah. Well, so much of the for-profit world is around selling products. So most of the know-how around search engine optimization does not apply to nonprofits. So there's one area where like the majority, and in fact, I found a company who I trust to do SEO research for nonprofits. It took me a year and a half and I'm like, super tapped into the marketing world. (laughs) Like I'm interviewing SEO experts for a year and a half to find one company who I believed could hack it in the nonprofit space. So SEO is kind of like really the wild, wild west when it comes Mm -hmm. to nonprofits probably to get down to like specifically the, where you can kind of detect anyone's strategy is, and let's talk about fundraising for a second, because the fundraising journey and the enrollment journey, as, a, as in getting people who might be interested in your programs to take them, are slightly different. But in the fundraising journey, the reward of donating usually comes actually before the donation. Um, Next After does a great job of talking about this, but basically like that emotional feeling like I'm going to be participating, you're like, yay, and then you have to give the money, (laughs) right? We see this very explicitly in pledge-type fundraising activities, right? They pledged, but they didn't give the money yet, (laughs) Um, whereas in a for-profit situation, they give the money and then they get their reward can imagine that the whole setup around reward and then I have to get you to pay for your reward (laughs) is really different than, than for profit, which is basically carrot and stick, you know, like I'm going to give you this, you know, I'm going to give you this reward and you, but you have to give me the money first. So that's really a dramatically different situation.
1: (laughs) That's really interesting. It it also, I think makes me, you know, question just our ongoing donor engagement and stewardship. Like you know, to, to hear you put it that way, and I think it's, you're so right that the, the reward comes before the gift, how sad is it that we, we are in an organizational culture, capital C, that largely misses the point of providing that kind of really important feedback so that you, you actually have a positive experience before and after.
0: Mm. Right, right. And that is key, right? You have to have that positive experience after because we need you to become a recurring donor. We need you to become, you know, leveling up your donation. So that's really key. I think another area that's really different is you know, what is a donor? What is a supporter? As opposed to, you know, who is a customer? A customer is someone who buys from you and it's pretty straightforward. There's always the indication of a financial, you know, a dollar exchange. But a donor, they may be giving of their time. They may be a staff member who's donating. I think often we don't consider How, you know, if we, if you know that your staff are underpaid, I want you to take the market rate for their salary and subtract what you're actually paying them. And that difference is the financial contribution Mm -hmm. (laughs) that they are giving to your nonprofit by working for you and recognize them for that. And also recognize it in your financial statements that if you're an executive so like, you know, in a for-profit world, we might say, oh, what's it like to be an executive of a $20 million business versus a $1 million business? Well, if you're an executive at a nonprofit and your total operating budget is $20 million, but let's say you actually have another, you know, $10 million in basically unpaid salary, right? Stuff that, you know, a salary that you would be paying if you were a for-profit mm. organization. That means you're really managing the same size equivalent as a $30 million business, not a $20 million business. So there's so many ways in which we kind of lose, in you know, valuable information about how big our organizations really are. And this really ties in, I think, to fundraising, like that we need to really account for what it takes to, you know, Gain and keep a donor. And a lot of fundraisers are really quite good at tracking the metrics, but it's so critical when you see, when you run the real numbers and you count in the volunteers and you quickly realize then that your fundraising events may be losing money. They're very likely are once you count those volunteer hours.
1: That never happens. (laughs)
0: Right. But I do want to say that that in some ways that's okay. It's okay to see negative numbers in a nonprofit as long as you're honest about it and you understand where the full value is. So, you know, yes, I always encourage people like, If you're doing a fundraising event, chances are, if some events actually can turn a profit, chances are it's actually losing money from a fundraising perspective, but it may be gaining money from an awareness perspective. It might actually be a marketing tool that you use to bring in people who you never met before, um, potential new donors. If you change that lens, you might say, well, it makes sense. To, in the for-profit world, we call it a loss leader, a product you sell that you actually take a loss on because it turns somebody into a customer and you have a plan to sell them on so much more stuff that you will make a profit on <laughs> that it's worth taking a loss on some of the stuff you sell. Mm-hmm. But if we don't run the numbers and we don't have that mindset in a, in a nonprofit, then we won't make the plan to what we call in the for-profit world, upsell them, right? Sell them on something, <laughs> a donation that does give us money For at sure. the end of the day.
2: Yeah, it really is interesting to hear you explain your process because it, it sounds to me that you, you're you helping nonprofits build a, a structure that they can manage too, as opposed to, you know, what we normally do in trying to build this mountain, this big pyramid, donor pyramid that we're trying to get people to... Uh, to, to point towards, but, but having that structure and then allowing people to function quickly and appropriately, you know getting getting the organization to, to run at full speed.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know it's so it can sound overwhelming to have so many things be interconnected but when things are interconnected in the way they are with the impact method is they, it's not just, you know, one plus one equals two. It's about creating synergies that make the whole system more robust. You know, Mm -hmm. we, it really, um, what is it? The whole is greater than the sum or the sum is greater than the whole. Anyway, it is bigger than the sum of its parts. And that is so important. And when you actually do it in practice, it is easier. There are fewer things to do because each thing that you do is impacting so many parts of your organization. Mm. And so it actually, that is where you save time. You get more... Money, you get more fundraising return for your efforts when everyone is rowing in the same direction, in the same style. Um, you know, if you ever watched a crew boat, you know, r- rowing along, there's somebody who calls out, you know, the rhythm because it is faster if everybody needs to not just be rowing in the same direction, they need to be rowing at the same time, at basically the same strength in the same way in order to move forward at that maximum speed. So your strategy is really like where you're going and your capacity is your ability to kind of all go there in the same way. And as much as nonprofits like to say money is our biggest problem, I just like to tell nonprofits, I have not met a single one yet where money was actually their biggest problem. It every time it is your human capacity, you have not fully tapped What the people in your organization that are there right now can do for you right now with just a little bit of rearranging how they're organized.
1: Mm. We see the exact same things. I can't tell you the number of times we go in and we're, we're called in for a question of, well, this program is down on revenue. Or that program is down on revenue. And, and really, it you know, it comes up to be, well, we're actually down on leadership, right? Or we're, we're down on talent or we're down on motivating the talent. So I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, it, it tracks with everything that we see in the market.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And that goes back to if you're moving slowly, if your human capacity is not fully leveraged. You're losing so much money. You have to fix the hole in your boat before it's worth adding more money in otherwise no like the more money you dump in the you know it's just gonna flow out even faster you'll become a bigger beast and people in the for-profit industry have experienced this many many times like if you go into the entrepreneur support community you will hear so many people saying I thought I would just work harder and do more and I'd grow this bigger business and it would finally give me the life that I wanted and guess what I just got a bigger beast to manage <laughs> it just came with more hours to work and more headaches and even though i'm making more money it doesn't feel any different than when i made less money and we don't want that to happen for for profits but we certainly don't want that to happen for the heart driven nonprofit people who are vulnerable to giving everything my own mother became the head of a small private school that i had gone to and like i when i think back she gave so much you know i think about her and the other people who helped this nonprofit grow into a stable organization. It was like they opened up their veins and they're just like bled for them. Like, just take mm-hmm. take it all. I love you. But it doesn't have to be that way. And I don't mm-hmm. want nonprofit leaders to have to bleed for their organizations. I think they can benefit personally um, much more than they are now.
1: Sure. Love that idea. Yeah.
2: You know, it's really interesting. As you're describing, I just keep coming back to, to uh, a thought in my head and uh, you'll have to indulge me for a minute, but I'm a guitar player. I remember Eric Clapton, uh, one of the great guitar players, uh, uh, saying one time, it's not music until we can improvise. And what that meant is the band knew what key they were in, and as long as they stayed in the same key, uh, then they could do whatever they wanted, and, and that's when it was really fun. That's when it was really exciting. And that's really what you're talking about, is allowing people to, as you said, you know, they have to have the, the, the boat in the right same direction and they have to be pulling the oars uh, at, at the same time. Uh, but, but as long as they've got the basic structure or parameters in place, uh, they can have a lot of fun and really enjoy this work that we're in.
0: So I'm so glad that, you know, you shared that example. That's exactly what we are doing with leveraging human capacity because you can't actually manage people. Um, you can't you can't control how they feel. At the end of the day, you can't control what they do. If you're a parent, you ever tried to force feed your child something they didn't want to eat, you realize that it's actually impossible um, to make them do that. But what we can do is, and what we should do, is we create these structures which become trellises for what we call open systems and humans flourish in open systems you give them the guide of this is where we need to get to at the end of the day and these are the parameters which we need to operate in but then you must free them completely to you know to improvise to um, figure out how to do that the best because our world is constantly changing and more so because of the internet than it used to. And so we constantly need to reinvent the how do we get there exactly? What are the exact steps we're taking? And so you need to free up people to really figure out, you know, in the, in the business world, it's, you know, hack that function, like figure out how to do it better Now, it's not about, my job shouldn't be to answer the phone. My job should be to ensure that when people reach out to our organization, they get a response. Mm. And when that is my job, instead of mindlessly answering the phone, I can say, well, hey, are we getting a ton of phone calls? Are we getting more messages by email or Facebook? Like, Where are people trying to reach our organization? Are they literally walking off the street? And how can I best make sure that I'm there to answer or that somebody is there to answer when they approach us? And that is a really, really different way of thinking than just my job is to answer the phone. And that's not a fun job to have. Nobody wants that job anyway, to be like a machine because we are not like machines as humans.
1: So I, I'm fascinated by that idea uh, because it's, it's in conflict with what I experience with a lot of organizations, which is, especially in some of the either founder-led or, or where there's a very strong C-level personality, right? It tends to be a very command and control kind of environment. How do we break out of that construct? Obviously, like you said, yeah. you can't force feed them, right? So they have to, there has to be a desire to change, but how do we help? organizations do that.
0: So there's a concept that I've learned from the entrepreneurial operating system. a few other people that talk about this too. It's the idea that actually organizations really need two types of leadership. And typically, the qualities for these two types are found in different types of people. And so, one function of leadership is to provide visioning and innovation for the organization. And most founders are this visionary innovator type person. And then there's this other function called integrating. And integrating is really about ensuring that um, you're at the right, you're, you're moving at the right speed for your organization and that the various functions of your organization that come into natural conflict, like for example, um, fundraising and marketing for programming come into natural conflict all the time. Who gets, you know, space on the homepage of the website? who gets majority control of our Facebook page, you know, like fundraising is like, I need that to raise the dollars and enrollments. Like, well, we need to let people know that our program is open. (laughs) Um, And so somebody needs to have the role of, you know, making sure that they're like essentially the tiebreaker have the big picture in mind. So how do we write those founder? They're kind of like in there kind of like control freaks. Well, let me tell you, Most of them are visionary types. And if you give them the space to just be a visionary and to not have to worry and and be ensured that the rest of the organization is gonna run smoothly, they would take that job if it was an opportunity and it's kind of like you know if you if you've lost your dog and like your dog's scared and they don't want to come out of the hiding spot that they found but you pull out the bacon <laughs> and you can lure you can lure your dog out of its hiding spot with the bacon and i mean bacon, is, bacon works for me for the vegans but they have you know vegan bacon because bacon is so alluring so you know one is Give them, don't tell them they have to leave something. Tell them there is a place that you are probably going to really want to go and give them the opportunity to go there. But I have to warn nonprofits the old structure of running that so many nonprofits are in is risk averse and they're afraid to experiment. And this whole idea of needing visioning and innovation. You know, people talk about visioning and strategic planning, but they might as well not in the old model because we have not allowed our nonprofits to run experiments. We've told them when they get funding that we're going to give you money, but you had better succeed because if you fail, you're not going to get money again. (laughs) Um, But that is not how we innovate. We innovate by running experiments. Should they be controlled? Yes. Should they have, you know, reasonable risk absolutely they shouldn't be totally stupid but you have to experiment to innovate and every nonprofit i've ever come across has a mission impossible if the if what their mission was was easy to solve they wouldn't exist and solving hard unsolved problems requires innovation innovation requires experimentation And so this whole idea of having a function of your organization that's around visioning and innovation is really tied to being willing to Mm. experiment.
2: Mm. I love that. Very good. It's interesting, you know, this whole process of being averse to risk, just great concern. You know, I'm just thinking about what's going on in our industry right now. You know, we hear about fundraising being down in 2018 and, and some saying it's down uh, now in 2019, what are you hearing? It, it, do, you, do you find that this tempers people's willpower to take risks, to do new things? Uh, what are you seeing in the marketplace, Sarah?
0: You know, I hear different things. And the the marketer in me says that the numbers around whether or not fundraising is up or down is not necessarily great data. Because so many nonprofits... <laughs> have not really leveraged great marketing tactics. They have not built great donor journeys. They haven't done that work. So as long as the majority of nonprofits have no digital strategy or a poor digital strategy and thus no, you know, they aren't leveraging. If they have no digital strategy, they certainly aren't leveraging everything they could be for having incredible fundraising functions, donor you know, generating functions, then what is that number of donations or up or down really measuring? It could be measuring how good nonprofits are at fundraising, or it could be an indication of how generous people are at giving, but we don't really know which. So on its own, I'm kind of like, eh, I'd rather nonprofits look at their individual numbers and see if they're going up there's so much value to looking at your own data and monitoring your own data and you don't have to use it. It shouldn't, your data shouldn't be leading you. And I think I was talking about this the other day. You, there's this phrase, um, data driven decision-making, which I wish was replaced with data informed decision-making mm-hmm. data driven decision Making is what computers do because that's their best option. The human brain is so much more powerful than a computer. So, while computers are limited by data driven decisions, and AI that's coming up will always be limited by data driven decisions, Mm. our brains are capable of more than that. And we should absolutely leverage ourselves as where we are more powerful than computers. So, while computers can have data driven decisions, we should have data informed decisions the data should not lead us but should be a tool that we use to help guide where we might go it presents options and it's like a thermometer you know we take if you take if we know the average human body temperature and we take our temperature if it spikes up or down we don't know necessarily it doesn't say oh you have the flu it doesn't say oh you have gangrene on your foot cut it off it just says something's up look deeper but that data point doesn't tell us what the problem is. and I think that's how I feel around you know it's good to look at benchmarking data, but when as an industry maybe we're not especially good at something, how useful is that benchmarking data? Mm. Um, you know maybe it says, yeah, you probably have work to do. <laughs> that's what it says to me with fundraising is individual nonprofit, you probably have work to do. What are your numbers? Are you, is your fundraising down from last year? Oh, were you measuring your fundraising accurately? Like, no, let's start with getting a baseline and let's think about what you can do now. Probably the context of the world changed and we could be fundraising as much. I doubt because almost, you know, One thing you learn in marketing is that like half of the equation of marketing or maybe even 90% of the equation in marketing is basic human psychology Mm. and What motivates us as human beings has changed very little in thousands of years Mm. Um, and so I highly doubt that, that feeling, that desire to belong, that desire to help others, that desire to be a part of something bigger, right? Is religion down? Because that's motivated by the desire to belong to something bigger than yourself. <laughs> I doubt that that has gone anywhere. It's just a matter of how we tap into that. And something has probably changed in our context that has, means we need a new way of giving people that.
1: That's deep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think I saw that in the Giving USA Trends. No, it
0: didn't cover that? It didn't compare? like- I don't believe
1: so. Religious
0: participation. <laughs> you always need, you know, I talk about, especially for nonprofits, need to triangulate their data. And, you know, I said one thing that's really different about nonprofits is they have more people, right? Another thing that's really, really different about nonprofits is um, how we measure success. And efficiency. And so, for for profits, like pretty much any for profit can use profit margin as a pretty good indicator of how efficiently it is achieving success. And the basic measurements that any for profit used is kind of similar to what other for profits will use. For a nonprofit organization, success is dependent on your mission, and your mission is unique. So, every nonprofit has to ha- figure out their own indicators for their own level of efficiently achieving their mission and probably their mission is something that is very, very hard to measure. So you're probably always looking at what three to five data points tell me the same kind of thing that a single profit margin data point would tell a for profit.
2: Yeah. It's really interesting. Just the whole concept of uh, how you're using digital, not just as a platform to communicate messaging to people on the outside, but how to communicate and enhance messaging to those on the inside of an organization and that's that's very different it's very profound, and really I think something pretty unique to our industry so uh, you know I think it's it's pretty pretty special uh, I know I have been uh, challenged uh, uh, today just hearing how you position thinking and it's, it's very very interesting to to look at it from this perspective that's refreshing.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, and what you said just, you know, it is so important that we think through problems together. And I think if the impact method does one thing the most powerfully is it creates many opportunities for people from across our organizations to come together and talk and think about things together. I'll give you an example from a larger organization who I'm working with right now. They have this problem, the fundraising department, which is fairly new. They need some good financial stories to tell. They need to be able to say, you know, when we put this much money into a program, it makes this kind of impact. And so they went to the finance department, and the finance says, well, we didn't put those numbers together because we don't have that kind of data from the programs. And the programs, they don't have that kind of data because they didn't get really clear on what the exact mission of their specific program was this is an organization mm-hmm. with many different programs to achieve one mission and so The fundraising problem cannot be solved without the programming departments kind of getting more clarity and alignment on where they're going um, and getting a good sense of their own data. The finance department is relatively straightforward to connect the dots if they had the data. But so it is very, very interconnected and all of the functions of our organizations need to be The people who are in charge of them need to be coming together and thinking out loud and problem solving together, um, or they'll never get there, or it'll take forever, right? (laughs) You know, if I just worked with the programming department and said, oh, you need some new this and that, and I told the finance department, oh, why don't you put these numbers together? I told the fundraising person, hey, maybe you should do this it would take probably, I don't know, 10 years to never to get that happen. Or we could just all meet together for like three one hour meetings and probably have solved the entire problem.
1: Yeah. I think we should end it right there because that is is perfect insight. Sarah, thank you for being with us today. How can somebody reach you if they want to hear more, want to engage with your organization, want to take advantage of the impact method?
0: Sure. Um, The best way is go to our website, pivotground.com. You can also look for us on Facebook or LinkedIn. But from our website, you can, um, if you're an executive director, sign up for a free consultation with me. We can see if the impact method is the right fit for you. Um, Lots of times people want to know, like, when do I start? Is this the best next step? Um, And so I hope that I can answer that question for you.
1: Awesome. Thank you again. Appreciate you being here.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, It will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.